I was thinking about, uh, you know, what to share on today, and there's this verse that kind of caught my attention way back in my 20s, and it's not necessarily a verse that's talked about a whole lot, and there's one little section of this verse that has always kind of, like I chewed on this, like what does this really mean? What is this one little phrase? You know, sometimes scripture will do that. Something just captures your attention. Well, this is the verse. It's Psalm 86, 11, and 12, and it says this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Well, I just have chewed on that. What does that unite my heart mean? And what is that really referring to? Well, I found these two little videos I'm going to show you that are kind of a, a video that shows kind of an unlikely path to a united heart. So take a look. Hey guys, it's Will and Sid here, and today we're going to be building towers and knocking them down. love those. Doesn't that look like fun? Um, so there's this verse in Hosea 10:2 that says this, their heart is divided and now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars and ruin their sacred pillars. There's a lot of stories in scripture that have this theme of kind of something being built and it all falling apart and going away and then coming, coming back again. Um, everything from the Garden of Eden, that was this perfect garden that got spoiled by the fall, and um, Adam and Eve were kicked out, to um, the flood, when the earth was destroyed with water, and a small group of people were saved, to the Tower of Babel, when they were literally building a tower, and the languages got confused, and Jerusalem itself, with its walls and temples, um, in 586 BC was completely destroyed until about 70 years later when it was rebuilt. But this theme of rising and falling and rising and falling is a theme throughout scripture. Well today I want to share a bit of my story with you um, from another angle. And if you would have met me in my teens, I want you to see what I would have, how I would have been described. These might be some words that would have described me had you met me maybe in my late teens or 20-ish around in there. And um, some of this had to do with the kind of family I grew up in. And you may have your own version of this, but something of how you grew up, of how people would have maybe described you when you were young. Um, stoic. My family didn't express emotion. We didn't, we didn't cry. We didn't get mad. We were just kind of you know, uh, German Lutheran. Lutheran is on here. I grew up Lutheran. Um, German Lutherans were kind of known to be that way, but we had fun. We, the humor in my family was a big one, and humor was sometimes a, a cover-up for all the other things we felt, but that was one that was important. Um, I got pretty good grades, and I could maybe do that part of life okay, and um, very much a follower. We were taught to be obedient. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and, you know, obedience was a big one, so um, that was a big one. I was painfully shy. When we had company come over, there were times I literally hid in the closet 
because I was so shy, and it's hard to believe now, I know, um, that I did not want to meet new people. Uh, the guilt, you know, guilt's a great motivator. We had a lot of that, you know, um, a lot of that growing up was, you know, I felt guilty for taking the last piece of cake or just breathing air for that matter. Um, indecisive, you know, we were told how to think, what to believe, what to do, and, and I remember just feeling so indecisive. And when I was getting ready to go to college and choose a major, I was like, oh my gosh, how overwhelming to try to pick a major that was going to determine the rest of your life. Um, that was overwhelming to me, but I would get sometimes paralyzed of making decisions. Uh, people pleaser, you know, uh, hey, just make everybody else happy. You know, as Christians, I think this was a big one, but we're taught to just please other people and, you know, be there for them. Um, I grew up a tomboy. I was in the middle of four brothers and still had three older sisters, but in the middle of four brothers and competing and, you know, doing athletics is down here. I played a lot of softball and basketball and was into all the sports and um, rigid, you know, rigid probably went along with the Lutheran. It was like, this is how it goes. We're right. All y'all are wrong. Unless you're Lutheran, you can raise your hand. We, were <laughs> we would be friends back then. The rest of you I would not be friends with. <laughs> so, um, but it was a very, we, I went to a Lutheran school. Uh, uh, I went to, we had Lutheran health insurance. We had Lutheran hospitals. We had, we had like Lutheran retirement plans. We had Lutheran counselors. We had Lutheran everything. So we just, you know, could be in our little Lutheran bubble. Um, this one down here has the love thing with the X through it. And the reason I, it's not that my family maybe didn't love us, but I, we didn't express it. We didn't say, I love you. We didn't hug. We didn't tell each other what we liked. We used to make fun of that show, Eight is Enough. Do you remember that show, Eight is Enough? Because we had eight kids in our family. <laughs> we used to make fun of that, like, ah, oh, that's so stupid. Look how, like, huggy and touchy they are. <laughs> we, we, we just would make fun of it. Um, we were actually maybe kind of proud that we didn't need love. We didn't need people. We didn't need. We just, you know, we were taught to be kind of independent. Uh, there it is, independent. Um, and I'm from Kansas, so I put Kansas City Royals on there because we were Royals fans, and even if we weren't watching it, we were probably listening to it on the radio somewhere. And, um, but this was kind of maybe some of the words that people would have described me back then of what, what I was, what I looked like. Um, so you, again, you may have your own version of things. Of how, you know, how did people identify you? These are the things that I was identified with. Some of it might even be called my personality. And this is what I look like. Until some things started falling apart in my life. There was a season where I was in a relationship and that relationship broke up and my sports stuff in college wasn't going so well and my beliefs started to be questioned with the whole Lutheran thing and why did I believe what I believed and and it was like everything started spinning where it was just like and that's how it felt and if you have seen me by age 22 I might need some help throwing those. Liam, you want to throw me those books back? <laughs> I'm going to need those. Um, I uh, started getting very depressed. And I was crumbling. And I felt very inferior. And I was very lonely. 
and isolated. And a lot of shame. By then I had a lot of secrets I hadn't been telling people because, well, I got drunk a lot. And the stuff I did when I was drunk, I wasn't proud of. And I was crying. I think I cried probably like every day for a year. I thought I was going crazy. I really did. I thought I was going crazy. It wasn't really crazy, but I thought I was crazy because I just was feeling stuff I had never felt before. And it was strong emotion, and it was, it was powerful. It was overwhelming. I'd never felt that before. I uh, didn't know what I believed anymore. And I hit a place where I really didn't want to live. I had thoughts of suicide. I went from being a tomboy to a bad girl. And this was more like a time where the Texas Rangers were around, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, I was devastated and feeling incredibly insecure. And this was how I looked. If you would have seen me at age 22, There's a verse in Luke 9:23 that says this. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There was this weird, like even though this is a lot of what I felt, but there was this weird mixture of devastation and yet like something alive deep down. Because before I didn't really feel a whole lot and at least it was like oh somewhere in the middle of all this there was still something there so I tried to pick up the pieces and you know sometimes I would go back to those things I was familiar with and and uh, I would go back to what worked for me before and you know some of these things that were that were uh, oh it's, it's just worked. You know, I'd pull out some of my old tricks, being funny or people-pleasing or some of those things. And that, you know, kind of got me eventually back out. And that during that time period, I, um, you know, maybe pulled out the smart one. I don't know where it is in here, but the smart one. That, that I can figure this out. And I read tons of books. I read all these books, like counseling kind of books and personal growth books and a lot of that. And I read the scriptures. And there was a lot of what I read that just kept, kind of piercing my heart and kept kind of, kind of um, going through a lot of this stuff. I remember during this time that um, I remember this person coming along and saying, gosh, you're so depressed. You like, you, you like cry all the time. You cry. And it was like, oh, now I'm getting rejection for that too. And it was like, okay, then all that fell apart. Doesn't it look fun? <laughs> it hurts like hell. But, <laughs> you know, but, but it was like, when I was 28, I hit another place where, you know, my brokenness seems to get uh, prompted by broken relationships, but that's a lot of what was the initial thing that broke it down. And at this time in late 20s, now it was, oh, some of this charismatic stuff and speaking in tongues and miracles. Oh, yeah. Ah, 
I didn't have any software for that. I didn't know what to do with that, or what is that, or, you know, uh, you know, I didn't, it was just confusing to me, and it was a big part of it. There's this, here's a quote by um, Richard Rohr that says this, the human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to failing or changing or dying. The ego is that part of you that loves the status quo, even when it's not working. It attaches to the past and the present and fears the future. This is like another dark night of the soul. And this one felt darker than the other one. It was almost like through the first one, there was this little pilot light still lit, you know, kind of like an oven, even though it's off, there's this little light way back in the back of the oven that's still lit. It was like someone came along and blew that out. And it was just silence. Matthew 11:25 says this, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. None of my smarts, or none of, I couldn't figure out, you know, what I believed, you know, the God, you know, where, where all this, you know, kind of charismatic stuff is. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't have, like I said, the program in there to read, read what was coming in to my life. And so, once again, I started to pick up the pieces and, and uh, you know, I started to become more open. I started to become, you know, someone that would talk about stuff. And even though I felt lost spiritually, I, f I was feeling pretty uh, unwanted because of just broken relationships. And I think I decided Presbyterian was the closest thing I could get to what I believe. And... Um, you know, I went from the tomboy to the bad girl to, I at least started liking being a girl. Okay, so we'll take that one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was kind of more stunned into a silence. And here's the thing, that, here's a new one that started showing up. I was angry. Probably for the first time in my life that I really remember being just really angry at God. It was almost like, you know, I thought the first breaking was like, okay, God, I got it. Now, now we're good. <laughs> but another one, <laughs> now I was pissed because I was, I was like following God by then and, you know, really involved and, you know, had a relationship that was very personal at that point. But anger was almost like God wanted me to be angry to show that he could handle it, to show that he's not threatened by it. Um, I've, I've come to find that Christians need this one. We need this box. <laughs> we need to have places where we can get angry. Anger is that place that kind of a protective thing that protects our dignity or allows us to set boundaries or allows us to, to uh, speak up or have courage or be bold. Um, I found that with sports, I could just kind of enjoy it and just play and not have to win all the time or prove something. And um, at this point... You know, still lonely. Let me see here. I felt kind of damaged. You know, I was like, what's wrong with me? There must be something really wrong with me that these relationships fall apart. Um, by then, we'll go with, you know, it's kind of the Rockies by then. And, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I was a little bit sarcastic or a little bit, you know, pessimistic about life. And feeling, you know, that girl that didn't have needs needy. I was like, wow, I'm really needy. I used to not have any needs. Um, the insecurity 
And I did quit drinking, at least for about six years. Now it's in balance, but, <laughs> um, but I was uh, sober-minded. And I have another um, quote from you. This is Parker Palmer, and this is um, from an awesome book called A Hidden Wholeness. Afraid that our inner light will be extinguished or our inner darkness exposed, we hide our true identities from each other. In the process, we become separated from our own souls. We end up living divided lives. So far removed from the truth, we hold within that we cannot know that the integrity that comes from being what you are. We're so afraid of that exposure, and yet there's this inner light. You know, Jesus said this in John 2:19. He said, destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. And in Matthew 24, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Do you know that in the long history of Jerusalem, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, and completely destroyed twice. But to me, that feels kind of like life. As we sort through the rubble, do you ever feel attacked? Maybe some things people say to you about how you show up and what that looks like. Does it ever feel like someone's coming along and they make some comment like you're so controlling or sarcastic you don't know and it feels like it's just a stab in the heart or someone comes along and says the Rockies the Rockies don't <laughs> they're not even worth a Sunday afternoon um, what you don't drink you don't drink why don't you drink somebody comes along and just makes comments about why are you so angry all the time starts to put holes in your who you who you are and who you think you are so it all gets knocked down again <laughs> I keep thinking it's gonna stop but I have a feeling there's still more to come <laughs> uh, so in the middle of this if you think about like every one of these boxes, thanks you guys. If you think about like what's really behind these, like what drives some of this stuff? What motivates it? Like what's behind it? What do you think? Yeah. Protection. Protection of protection of past experiences, yeah. Trauma, absolutely. Foolishness. Folly, foolishness. What was that? Pride, ego, yeah. Absolutely. Expectations. What was that, Liam? Lack of guidance? Yeah, sure. So if I had to kind of boil it down, like what is... What is underneath here? What happens when it's all torn apart, full of holes and breaking open? I'd boil it down to this. 
fear. All kinds of fears, but bottom line, fear. Fear of, fear of not being enough. Fear of not being important. Fear of not belonging. Fear of not being respected. You know, all kinds of fears in the middle of that. And I've learned, <laughs> learning, <laughs> to not be afraid of fear. Sometimes we're afraid to even admit we're afraid. And when we're afraid, it's like, uh, I've learned that fear is almost like a doorway. A doorway into, if you think about, well, I'm afraid I won't be accepted or I won't be good enough. What does that speak to? It speaks to the fact that I want to be good enough and I want to I be loved and I want to be valued. Like fear is our doorway into what we really want and need. And when we just take that fear and follow it, keep listening to it, let it break open and see what we really, really want. We want the lights. We go from I'm not good enough, I'm not important, I'm not valued, I'm not significant, I have no voice, I, I'm not, I'm just a big knot. And Jesus comes along and says, I am. And the I am is what lives inside of us. It's the light inside of us. It's, it's just I am. Like all just to be I am. No performance. I don't have to get people's approval. I don't have to do anything. Like there's nothing I can do to make this be there or not be there. There's nothing I can do to get more acceptable. There's nothing I can do to get less acceptable. It's here. It was here all along, inside, waiting to be discovered inside of every one of these boxes. Inside, it's like if we just keep going down, down, down. So you see, fear is that thing that typically makes us want to, fear usually leads to control. And control is like I'm trying to scramble and trying to find a box to put together here to uh, make myself to find my identity and to uh, do that. But Jesus invites us to take that fear and go inward, deeper and deeper and deeper into a place where we find his life within us. So, 2 Corinthians 12.10 says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the deeper our doubts must endure, the deeper our faith grows. The deeper our despair, the deeper our hope grows. The deeper our anxiety, the deeper our peace grows. The deeper our loss, the deeper our love grows. The deeper our suffering, the deeper our joy. The deeper my destruction, the deeper I find that I am indestructible. No matter how many times you may get knocked down, even if we're all on our deathbed, we are indestructible. So what happens when like one person's self bumps up against another person's self and what happens when we get offended or hurt or bruised or attacked or uh, held captive? You're held captive by somebody and felt that? 
I think this video shows a little bit of what it might look like when we all start to break apart. We all fall down. So take a look. I want to do that. <laughs> Next Sunday, we're going to all bring mattresses and we're going to line up. <laughs> um, but it, to me, this speaks of like a, there's like a bigger picture happening. When we all start falling apart and start falling down together, it's like there's something bigger starting to happen. So let's go ahead and show this next video that gives a little glimpse of that. Isn't that cool? It's like, wow. You know, individually, we're all here sitting here together, and what if, like a domino effect, you know, one person falls down, and it's like, well, what if that's your spouse? Or the best friend that you've leaned on? Or somebody, it's like, whoa, you're falling apart, now I'm falling apart. Whoa, now I'm falling apart, and the next person's falling apart. Um, the, the, here's another quote from Parker Palmer that says this, wholeness does not mean perfection. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. Knowing this gives me hope that human wholeness, yours, mine, ours, need not be a utopian dream if we can use devastation as a seedbed for new life. The security of Christ's light and love allows us to be whole and integrated. And whole doesn't mean perfect. Whole means embracing all the parts. And what I have found that when when we go to that center and we're grounded in his light, that we start to show other qualities. We're indestructible. We show wisdom. I learned how to be affectionate. I learned that God is both masculine and feminine and that we all have some of both. Uh, God grew compassion in me for the brokenhearted. I learned to have a win-win, not just me win, but find a way where we both win. He took that shyness and helped me learn to embrace people and reach out to them. That I found that I really wanted connection and I find more and more as I get older, uh, I used to look at how we're all different and now I, now I find the thread no matter where you're coming from spiritually, whether it's Buddhist or atheist or uh, Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever, that it's more of a we rather than an us and a them. Um, started to experience love and transparency of just being open and, you know, because all this other junk doesn't define me, it's like, ah, I'll tell you my story and tell you what happened because it's not what defines me anyway. Uh, to find fulfillment. To, uh, oh, 
Resilient, that's a good one. You know, by the time you get broken down and back up and broken down, you learn to be resilient. You learn that there is something deeply resilient within you, and yet so grounded at the same time. And creativity comes because now there's a security and a groundedness in all that, that Christ is both solid and yet flexible, like changing colors at the very same time. Something so unshakable and indestructible, and yet, you know, one of the things I love about Jesus, that he could laugh, he could cry and weep with those who weep, he could get angry and overthrow the tables in the temple and get mad. It's like, no matter what the situation was, he knew how to show up in a way that was most loving for that person in that time in that place. And truly, when we're most enlightened, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had you till then, right? <laughs> Bill and I are one. Hey, you know, what can I say? <laughs> He's from Boston. Uh, you know, the Red Sox. I love the Red Sox. <laughs> but see how flexible I was? I went from the Royals to the Rangers. And I went to the Cubs. And now I'm like, Red Sox. Okay, I've, I've arrived. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Because our inner man, the more decay, the more your inner man is going to shine through, right? So maybe some of you here have even said, I'm having an identity crisis. That's, this is what's happening. There's parts of you that used to work that are no longer working. They're falling apart. You're supposed to fall apart. Have you ever had someone say, I've never seen this side of you before. You used to be so nice and now you're angry all the time. <laughs> or you used to be so angry and now you're like, now you're soft. Um, have you ever heard someone say, I'm on a journey to find myself. And sometimes, mistakenly, we go outwardly looking for a change externally rather than going inward and finding who we most are within our own hearts. We change the externals, trying to find ourselves over and over, and yet he's just calling us deeper into himself. Matthew 10.39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. I feel like God's like this little kid inside of us going, Hey, let's knock this down. Hey, let's knock this down. <laughs> oh, painful. It's very painful um, because we're getting torn apart. Put this up here. Oh, <laughs> maybe I'll put it over here by the communion bread. Um, <laughs> um, but here's what I have come to believe is that when we are falling apart, we are actually coming back together with parts of ourselves that have not been expressed. Um, so these pieces, it's not, like I, it's not like I show up like this all the time. Just ask Bill. <laughs> you know, sometimes I uh, sneak in a cheer. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, sometimes uh, 
well, not so much anymore, but maybe that one. <laughs> sometimes I still do that. Sometimes I still feel shame. Sometimes I still, have, I still have questions. But picture these things more like they're moving and fluid because there's something solid inside every one of these, which is that light that is unshakable. Um, but because I'm learning and growing just like you, this is turning and changing. And, well, if you kind of took one of these and put like, I don't know how many are in the room, like everybody's in here, and put them all up here, and they were all moving and changing colors, then I'm going to show you a little picture of what that might look like in a second. Um, we would all in our brokenness start to become a united, one big, beautiful, everlasting, moving picture. So before we go into communion, uh, Vince and the band are going to play a song here. And this is, we're not going to sing. They're just, I just want you to hear the words of the music. Um, but I'm going to show you this video. So I just want you to look at the video and hear the music in light of this talk. And I want you to pay attention to the colors and even the darkness and what it starts to look like. What would it look like if we all were in this motion of falling apart and coming together in the midst of that? So, just take a little bit of time of reflection. I'm going to rearrange these a bit. Searching, longing 
night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke, broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup and he poured it, saying, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. In Psalm 34:18 it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you're here today and you're feeling broken or you know like you've got holes in you, uh, you're closer to God in those spots than you ever are when everything's going great. Psalm 127 says unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the living stone. And he is that indestructible love within us. So as you come to the table today, bring your brokenness, bring your cracks, bring your, the, the holes in your life and your heart and just come and know that he identifies with you in that brokenness. And when you take the cup, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, the brown or wine and the white or grape juice, and when you dip it in the cup, it's like his life flowing through me, his light, his love. So come and receive his body and his blood. Amen? So I'm going to read this verse one more time, the Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart and I will glorify your name forever. Like the meaning of my whole heart, every, every piece, every piece, good, bad, and ugly, my whole heart means embrace it all, because it all, if I follow the fear, it'll lead me to those things of how I feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm not important, and then I break that open, and it leads into what I really want, which is his love, his light within me. And it's been there the whole time waiting to be discovered. So I have a vision for our community and it would be that we all fall apart together. <laughs> and in doing that, um, we take our whole heart and it turns into a broken heart. And the broken heart turns into an open heart. And the open heart unites with God's heart. So when we're falling apart, we're actually all coming back together. So united we fall. United we fall into the darkness. United we fall into grace. 
United we fall into his light. And united we fall into love, indestructible love. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.